0: Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years' worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. Enjoy. In a world. Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who said it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, Hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then? Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good. Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one well obviously you moron we both do of course i absolutely love the nz aerosports business model i mean come on one glance at an icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality but outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe there's a long list of reasons to say nz aerosports fuck yeah and Zero Sports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got, man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast or the Petra The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low-pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at aerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos! They've got demos in the US available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole US demo fleet is there, with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Lunatic Fringe would like to welcome Pure Spectrum CBD to the podcast. You're going to want to head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out the wide range of THC-free products that they've got, products that both my wife and I have been using and can highly recommend. Use the promo code LUNATIC when you head to PureSpectrumCBD.com. That's LUNATIC at PureSpectrumCBD.com. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, another familiar face. Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do?
1: Hi, my name is Melissa Nelson and I am a professional skydiver and happy to be back.
0: Nice, nice. You are a busy professional skydiver. Extremely busy.
1: Yeah. I don't know how that happens.
0: (laughs) I mean, right? I personally got into skydiving so I could be fucking lazy, and that just didn't work. So in case we keep skipping out, in case we skip out, we'll make sure uh, um, uh, we clean it up after the podcast. But um, for those that don't know, you and your family have got quite a history in skydiving. So bring us up to speed for those that didn't hear the first episode or don't know too much about you
1: awesome well that's lot's happened since we last connected i come from a lineage of skydivers um, my grandfather was a paratrooper in the 82nd airborne and started sport parachute jumping when he got out where my dad and my uncle fell in love with the sport my late father is roger nelson and my brother and i have continued the legacy in our own paths in the sport and just in 2021, we got our father, Roger Nelson, inducted into the skydiving hall of fame.
0: Woo! Bravo. Absolutely. <laughs> Long overdue and well deserved, if you ask me.
1: Absolutely. So that that was kind of a nice little end cap of things, like projects we've been working on for his life as as you know, and maybe some people don't know, is I published his books, Sugar Alpha and Charlie Bravo, available on Amazon. Hell yeah. Uh that tells the story of his life, right? Because I think it's such a part of our history, not just culturally, but especially in our sport.
0: Well, I mean that's the thing, right? Is it's funny because it's your family history, but it's history for so many skydivers that are directly linked to his legacy and what he and the other trailblazers of his time brought to the sport. Right. I mean, so is it weird kind of, to have so many people claim a history with your father?
1: No, I think it's wonderful. I think it just shows how, you know, I don't know. I, I think when we all get in the sport, it seems really small, right? You have your home drop zone and that's the world. Like everything exists with the history of that Skydiving club or drop zone, and then you start traveling around a little more, and then you go to events, and then you meet people and you go to PIA or you get involved with the politics and you realize how just a microcosm that little drop zone was of this entire sport. And even though it's a small sport worldwide, it's still super vast. And even thinking between the 70s and the 80s and my dad's era, it blows my mind on how how big of an impact he had.
0: Sure. Well, he really did. You know, I, I I, I often talked about a a good friend of mine that I used to jump with at Skydance by the name of Perry. And Perry is one of those guys, probably a lot like your dad, that he was just a magnet to people. Um, He draws people in and people just love hanging around Perry. He's just got this wonderful vibe. And I had written something up about him and said, you know, if you don't have your own Perry where you are, I'm sure if you come to my drop zone, my Perry will be your Perry, too. And it really is. Everybody's. Oh, that's my Perry. And everybody's got their own version. So, oh, that's my Roger or that you've got different people that have different versions of their Roger that they hold on to, which has got to be kind of cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so I embrace that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I just saw a Facebook post not that long ago of your beginnings and working in the sport, and you had pictures of yourself in Manifest way back when, and that had to be a trip.
1: Yeah, it's kind of nice. I, I forget that so many people don't know our stories, right? There's so many of us that have been around for a really long time that – you know, you kind of hear things, but you don't really get to see it. So I'm just leveraging my social media to tell my story in just little bits and pieces where I shared a post when I made my first skydive with my dad when I was about five years old. And I did, you know, 11 tandems by the time I turned 11. And then I posted the, my humble beginnings working in manifest. I was 16. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life or where I was going to go, but I needed to make money. I had sure. a car and I needed to fill it with gas and pay insurance. Like that stuff was, you know, slap in the face of like, all of a sudden you're entering adulthood. So working on the drop zone for me was kind of an easy way out, sure. if you will, because I I tried working. Oh my gosh. My first real job was I was working as a delivery driver delivering pizzas. Oh, and I was terrible at it. This is before we had smartphones, right? And I did not know where people. I did not. I mean, we lived out in the country, so everything was fucking far away, and I had no idea. It was was terrible. So, so working manifest was my next best choice. Sure. And 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 yeah, apparently I was pretty good at it, and my dad was really impressed with how I managed and spoke to people on the phone and was really professional, and he encouraged me. And working alongside my mom, like she is she is like the the secret weapon of our family, you know? <laughs> she was the one that came up with a lot of these uh timeless marketing ideas process and how manifest worked. She was really good at manifesting. When I came around, things were starting to get computerized. So I wanted to bring the drop zone up to speed, get everything computerized. So that's kind of like the snapshot of My humble beginnings is it wasn't that I came out of the womb skydiving. I came out and I skydived, but I really wasn't sure if it was for me.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, that's got to be kind of a double-edged sword when you're born into it, because at least for me, the, as as I got older, the first thing I wanted to do was anything other than what my dad and mom wanted to do, right? My dad was a golfer that, you know, uh, was pro-level golfer. And I fucking hated golf, not because I hated golf, but because dad played it and I had to hate what he loved. Um. Exactly. So it, it, there had to have been that battle for you that you're like, well, Fuck! This is all dad does, and mom runs the show. I want to do something different. There had to be that draw.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is, that is exactly how it was. And I was young and rebellious, and you know, my dad was in prison for five years, so there was a lot of uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Resentment and just ang, just teenage angst, right? Like sure. I just, I, I was just ready to explode and a rebel without a cause. So, working with him for me was making a deal with the devil. Oh, yeah. And, 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 but I really, uh, I just, it made me feel good to be needed and feel a purpose. And, but what I hated also was the expectation that came around it.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: you're going to be good because your dad, X, Y, Z. Oh, you're Roger's daughter, blah, blah, blah. And and I was like, oh my God, these people don't know me. They didn't know the internal turmoil. Like, yeah, I, I liked work in the office and and whatever. It took me a long time to realize that I loved skydiving and that I made it my own and made it a, a career. Like there was a lot of uh, roller coaster emotions with that, and a lot of it had to do with being around my dad and being in his shadow because he was a big character in the sport.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, I never met Roger, and I know a whole bunch of stories about Roger, and definitely the lore behind him. So I can imagine that's it. Really, is a, a difficult situation to step into and to make your own, like you said. I mean, again, using my my metaphor with my dad and and golf. I tried when I got a little bit older to not just be the complete asshole to go out and play golf. And he jumped the gun and had me in a tournament well before I should have been on it. And here you go. I'm up on the first tee. I've just been announced as representing this country club and swinging and a miss, didn't even hit the fucking ball. And right then I'm like, this is the worst. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. This is horrible. And then cut to, I don't know, 20 years later actually out playing golf going fuck i think i like this i don't know how i feel about that (laughs) fuck
1: (laughs) yeah it's interesting i had a a similar i don't know maybe it was a dad thing back it must have been from back in the day making your kids do the thing and whatever my dad had me do a stunt for a tv show i think this was in 99 and it was me getting or wasn't me but we were reenacting a, a. Situation that happened: a girl got knocked out. This is before the, uh, so I was the damsel in distress. I got, I get quote unquote knocked out in free fall. My brother was the one who came down and saved me and pulled my parachute. and And this woman lived, right? So we're, we're retelling, recounting the story, uh, reenacting the show. And the producers came up to me and they said, "Hey, you know the the girl was knocked out. Can you act like you're knocked out and not pull your strings for the landing?" And, and I was so of that time where my dad asked me to be on a stunt. I'm, I'm, holy crap, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And I've, I've been trying to figure out where I belong in the sport. So I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I thought, I got to do this. All right. I have to, I'm, I'm going to do this. Well, I was All jumping right. a slow, 107, I don't know, 200 jumps. That's a story for another time. But, All right. any, anyways, <laughs> anyways, we're in, we're in Cal City and I do it. I fucking land without, flaring and I broke my back and my wrist and that was a pivotal moment for me watching having right you're in the hospital bed you're collecting all the thoughts you have nothing but time to reflect I forget how old I was 20 something young 21 I don't know um and I was toying around like what am I doing am I gonna do this thing or am I not because I've watched enough people growing up in the sport, not committing to it, being there for someone else, loving it, and going. there's something to my doing. And I had this vision of, oh,
0: we got there. you. Yeah, we got you. Okay.
1: And, and so I had this vision on my hospital bed of, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in, and I'm going to do something where people will remember my name. And the only thing so in my hospital bed, they would like a brand new pink rig, a pink jumpsuit and a pink parachute. And I dyed my hair pink. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I did. I'm like, people will know me. Maybe I'm not a good skydiver, but they are going to know me and they are going to remember my name. So I just just colored myself in pink. And it's really funny. It became a, a marketing thing for myself. I put on my jumpsuit and
0: people knew who I was. Well, and I, the, the cool thing about that, too, is you came to that decision while laying in a hospital bed where you have that, that decision to make, right? Am I going to be a skydiver? Is this something that I'm going to continue to do as you're laying there, you know, rehabbing from an injury? So... It has to be, uh, all right, well, shit, if I can decide to do that from a hospital bed, then clearly I'm in it for the long haul. So it's kind of cool that you also came up with a way to market yourself from the hospital bed.
1: I mean, I didn't even think I was marketing myself at the time. I was just trying to think of a way not to be roger's daughter and and now i had a whole not only did i have to prove myself outside of being roger's daughter i had to prove myself i just busted myself all up and (laughs) i had to recover from this very humiliating accident which was totally preventable because when i tell the story i'm going why the fuck did i do that like what 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 was i thinking i'm so dumb you know but i was so young and i was young and jump numbers and i and i had i had a lot to prove sure so so that was I'm going okay this is going to be a long uphill road but let's just see where it goes.
0: You know it's it's funny that you you started the the non-marketing marketing back then cuz now Man, if you want to work in this sport um, on anything other than just chucking drugs or shooting video, even if you're shooting video now, you have to market yourself. You know, I mean, you have to be a known quantity. And if you don't have the Instagram and if you don't have the Facebook and you're not shooting out those stories, the people you want to connect to might not know who the hell you are or not know your work. And now social media is the way you get work anymore. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, so way back then, right, we didn't have social media. Right. The way we do, and what we what I fondly call shamelessly self-promoting yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. But
1: what that looked like back in the day was writing articles showing up to competition. But we did competition not only just for the publications and media, is to get your skills really good, going and load organizing and just being present. So there's definitely a balance of you know how we blend that into today's world, and you know what? I, I'm maybe it's just my time in the sport, and I I hate social media.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: do, I don't do that, and so I try to keep hacking the system and doing it different because I just don't. I'm not an Instagram. I don't want to be Insta famous. That is not how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for the shit that I do. And sometimes that means just showing up and being present and doing the hard work and not trying to make it look fancy on social media, you know, like, and I like, I'm re strategizing how I present myself on social media right now. because Being in marketing now, which you know, was able to evolve from my time in skydiving, I'm doing everything which considered quote unquote, wrong, right? Mm. Like you're supposed to be super present on social media, posting all the time, being on all the platforms. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Because when the person that's quiet in the room starts to talk, guess what happens? People listen. Oh, and yeah. I'm going, I'm going to be the quiet person in And when I have something to say, it's going to be something to say. So that's kind of how I approached it. And I look at my social media analytics right now. I'm like, oh, man, like people are listening. But I'm also (laughs) being authentic and not, you know, not just being total BS and hey, look at how cool I am. I'm like, no, I'm going to tell you how hard it was for me to trudge this road into what I made into a career.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know, I mean, I kind of have a a, a similar strategy, as odd as it is, when promoting the podcast, I had somebody ask why I'm not, uh, I don't put myself in any of the posts for the podcast. It's all just uh, pictures of my guests and stories of my guests. And I'm like, well, this shit's not about me. It's about my guests, first off. Second off, I have no desire people hear enough of my stories on the podcast they don't need more from me on social media this needs to be about the people that I'm talking to and and the stories moving forward so it, it uh it makes more sense to do it that way for sure
1: yeah but you do but you have a pretty good story
0: <laughs> yeah I mean
1: I mean right <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I mean it's not bad it's definitely not bad you know it's kind of funny he's left you it's so funny because that story, if I if I leave it alone for just a little while, social media moves so damn fast that the next crop of listeners have no idea. And I had a, a, a guest bring up the fact that I had written a previous book about being a stripper. And I guarantee you there's a whole lot of people that were like, he was a what? Like a paint stripper? What the fuck? No. the The old guy? No. <laughs> I mean, we've all got some pretty interesting stories coming in for sure. Now, you, you've parlayed all of this in, in your beginnings and through the family, you obviously carved out your own path and Scott having for sure. And then you decided, I mean, you went full bore with everything and you've got so many projects going on, not just your own personal projects, but projects within the leadership of the USPA. I mean, tell people how, wh- where did that uh, switch flip and you decided, you know something, I- I've got something to say on on a much bigger level than just how this drop zone or that load is going to go.
1: Yeah, I am going to preface this saying that everyone that's on the board now, I I have a good working relationship with, so I don't want this to seem like I'm pointing fingers at anyone on the board. However, <laughs> as a member of USPA, <laughs> I, I've been skydiving for almost 30 years now, and I've done nothing but bitch about USPA. I'm an instructor. I am a pro rating holder and former DZO. So I've had my, and a competitor, former competitor and world record setter. So I deal a lot with the board when it comes to rules and uh, guidelines, instructional stuff, whatever. And I've had nothing. There's some people that were really good on the board, but I did nothing but bitch about USPA for like 20 plus years. Mm. I'm I'm going, okay, okay, okay. What do they say? It, stop bitching about it and start doing something about it. Yep. And that that I, I actually thought about that for a few years before I even thought about running. And in that thought process, I thought, well, why don't I just go hang out at some board meetings? And my mother, who has been around the sport, she remembers she's a secret weapon here. She goes to me. She's like, honey, you know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> She's, she's, like. Are you really sure you want to do this? Because everybody knows me, right? I can't half-ass anything. I don't do anything small, and so my mom is. She knows how busy I am, but she knows that I really want to give back. And the sport has given me so much, and I just felt that was a next stepping stone for myself. Was should can I give back? Like, do I have anything to give back? Do I have anything to say? Like, what what can I do? And. I spent two years going to board meetings as a member, sitting through meetings and just giving feedback as a member. And I'm go- and I just started writing down. I call it my national director bank now, mm. but all the ideas, stuff that was coming up, right? Because I'm a businesswoman, I I, I kind of like hack the system and, and and I can see a need and I can fill it. I, I you know in my adult life came to this thing of you have problems, I'm going to find a solution. Right. And so that mindset, that entrepreneurial thinking just started exploding and I got really excited about it. And I thought, OK, well, I'm just going to give it a go and run. And I ran in a special election and I lost. And it, I was like, well, maybe mom was right. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe that's a sign, you know. But then another special election came along and the board said, hey, you know, like you should run and i and i went back to them and i was like okay i will i'll run and i ran and i won that one and i hit the ground running because i had sat through two board meetings or i'm sorry not two board meetings two years of board meetings uh that i really had my finger on the pulse of what was happening and i just jumped on to committees straight away and just started getting to work so i you know being able to do some due diligence prior just was able to help accelerate getting stuff done. And people say things do take a while on the board. They do, but I, I don't like to take a while. I like to get shit done. So
0: (laughs) that's kind of a, that's a, a mark of our generation though, isn't it?
1: Oh, getting shit done or preparing?
0: (laughs) Not not wanting to wait. I'm not fucking patient either. And I think it's just, I mean, we were latchkey kids. You know, I mean, we were the generation that just kind of got left unsupervised for everything. So if you didn't do it for yourself, it didn't get done. If I wanted lunch, you fucking made your own lunch or you didn't eat. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I was pretty lucky about that because I grew up in a drop zone and my grandparents ran a little deli. So I would just show my little curly head up into the window and I'd be like, well taken me? care
0: of. <laughs> so now when you, uh, when you first started thinking about the board, was it still what you would imagine as the old boys club or, or was that starting to change?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> or is I, it starting I, to change? <laughs> I think it's starting to change. I, I and, and I don't know. I, I don't know. When I first got on the board, I absolutely felt like that. And mm. and a couple of them came up to me and they said, Hey, you know, people say we're the good old boys club. And I look at them and I'm like, you can't look at me and say it's a good old boys club when all of you are white men. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. you know? I'm like, I do not fit in that category at all. I am definitely a minority on the board. So I was really red flagged about all that. But now, I think I've come around because I can call anybody on the board and not feel like I'm in trouble or I'm doing something wrong sure. or me for something or they I'm sure some of them are annoyed by me, but they they have that love hate relationship with me. Sure. But I don't feel like that as much because I feel that we collaborate more on things and stuff just doesn't happen at board meetings now. We do a lot of stuff in the interim's. So we have tons of Zoom meetings, we get committees together. And I just, I just, I feel very fortunate is thinking of getting, or leading a world record skydive, right? And a world record skydive, we need everybody to do their job. It's not like, I don't like you, you're not gonna get on. Mm. I'm, maybe I don't like you, But I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can to help you succeed so we can succeed as a group. Right. Sure. So I took that mentality onto the board. And I, you know, like I said, I I call them. I have them all on my speed dial on my phone. If I have something come up or if I don't understand something, shoot one of them an email and we help each other. Right. Because there's so much on the board we represent. Forty thousand plus members around the country and our foreign affiliates, and we all have special niches on the on the board, right? Like I sit on competition. I don't sit on safety and training. Yes, I'm instructor, but I'm not an examiner. I don't see all the stuff that happens that they see. So we we talk a lot about uh, certain situations, and it's great. I feel a great collaboration with everybody on the board. I mean, maybe outside we don't like each other, but when we're on the board, we work. We work well together, and and I'm really happy about that. So I would say that it's evolved, but I mean, I think perception-wise, it probably looks like it, and it probably feels like it, but I think a lot of things is we don't understand how it all works, right?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I kind of sit as an outsider in that I've never had a position of power in skydiving, and I've spent so many years sitting up front in the plane that the day-to-day politics tend to get by me a bit. Um, and my whole skydiving career, uh, a lot of the women that I've dealt with in the sport have been in positions of power, whether it was them running manifest or the 10 years that I wrote for blue skies and it was Laura and Cola, you know I mean? So I, I suppose maybe I was a bit of an outlier in that, you know, I mean, when I wrote about boobs in blue skies magazine, it was because Laura told me I needed to talk about boobs more. So, you know, <laughs> It, it it always seemed a little bit different for me, but especially now that I see, and and you'll know a lot more about this than me, the Highlight Skydiving team really highlighting all of these things kind of brought to light um, for me, uh, seeing that there's a lot of shit that I haven't seen and that, that I haven't been aware of because I've just kind of been doing my day-to-day thing. Uh, tell me about your, your part in that as well, because I think it's amazing that it's bringing all that to light.
1: I am so incredibly fortunate to be a part of this team, and Highlight is Highlight Pro Skydiving Team. We are a team of 13 women, very high-caliber professional skydivers, and all badasses in our own right. We are literally fangirls of each other and (laughs) are just blown away every time we get together, and it's like, pinch me, is this real life? because I think a lot, all of us at one point in our careers wanted to do something like this, but didn't know how to put it together or there's the resources, the funding, the finances, uh, that sort of thing is very preventative in skydiving, right? Like you really have to find ways to make it work because you put in a lot of effort for passion. That's great, but you still have to pay the bills at the end of the day, right? So that this opportunity has presented itself is I'm so incredibly grateful to the women's skydiving network because that's what we are a branch of. Mm. So that, so we are a branch of women's skydiving network and uh, we go for highlight. Our mission is to inspire women and girls to live brave, bold lives. And we go and do demonstration jumps, highlighting different social justice issues. Mm. And that has been, um, I'm going to have to say I grew up in skydiving, right? Like I just, was one of the boys always growing up. And now it's incredible to flip the script and say, I get to be one of the girls. Mm. And that's cool, you know what I mean? Like we, I I think we just get so, mm, it's a man's world and it's a male dominated sport and to feel empowered, embraced. And, you know, I think all of us in a a way, we, we just kind of were able to pave our own path in the sport. But we we get to do it now and we have a platform to represent things that are so much bigger than us, not just to the skydiving community, but to the world. Because skydiving is cool, you know, we get to, you know, jump in in, and do this stuff. It's also being able to expand and refine some of our own personal skydiving skills and, you know, it's yeah, it's
0: a dream. Well, let's face it. I mean, skydiving shines a very unique spotlight on things. And and uh, people might not automatically think, oh, yeah, they're, well, they're going to go make a skydive to speak out for this injustice or this problem or, or that issue. And then you think about it and go, oh, no. That's actually a really cool way to highlight stuff because just another Facebook post, just another this, just, oh, no, wait, that's that's a bunch of badass women that just went and did this incredible jump and landed in a stadium to crowds that went absolutely nuts, especially when they realized it was a bunch of women that just did this incredible stuff. Because I hate to say it, the knee-jerk reaction is you see a bunch of parachutes land in a stadium, you think it's a bunch of dudes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And to find yeah. out it's these amazing women that just did it and made it look fucking easy. That's just, ba- it's badass. It really is. Oh,
1: I just gave me the goosebumps. That is, <laughs> that is, you just, you, yes, that is it. Like when the crowd goes wild and they hear that we're all women, it's just, it blows, it blows their minds. And, and how interesting that with all the social media and the cultural changes that are happening and the awareness that people are opening themselves up to, we still have this stereotype that, you know, it's it's still a man's world. And it just shows us that we have a long way to go. And it's just so great to be able to utilize all my skills, talents, and be able to put this with a bigger mission on a team and be able to contribute in that manner, right, to elevate these messages. Um, and and. Go
0: ahead. And the well, the badass cast of characters that you've got, I mean, the other team members. I just had the opportunity to speak to Maxine. Maxine Tate, for anybody listening, go back and listen to that episode. She's fucking amazing. Uh, I had Hannah Betts on not that long ago. But, well, actually, it would have been a year, year and a half ago. Uh, and I just recently saw she republished one of the pictures of her on fire. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs>
1: right. Now you can see what we're fangirls of each other, yes, right? It's- like, is this your life?
0: <laughs> It's so bad. Well, I'm. I suppose I'm very lucky in that uh, I became a fan, a very much a fan boy of female competitors back when I was just getting started. Because my sky surfing teammate was Mary Tortomasi, and we were getting our asses kicked by Tanya and Craig O'Brien, and I had a total crush on Tanya in that she was just this not just amazing woman um, on the ground, but she was destroying it in the air and how do you not just go oh my god you know you, you you can't not be blown away by it and and uh so i i suppose i was very lucky that i was exposed to that very very early on but you're right it still is a boys club and to see you guys being able to push through that barrier is fucking rad
1: yeah and hopefully help other women in the sport a to have a goal to keep moving forward or be at least have a space to talk about things that happen on drop zones that kind of blends a little bit back into my work as a uspa national director is when i got on the board so many people started talking to me about sexual assault and there was a i had a knee-jerk reaction to it i was like not not touching that with the 10-foot pole you know what i mean i was like Mm. scary uncomfortable, no way. And I just don't relate to a lot of other women because men were afraid of my father growing up. <laughs> so I he would go around the drop zone telling people it would be better to go in than mess with my daughter. So I kind of <laughs> had that <laughs> protection for a long time. And by the when he passed away, I was 26. So I kind of had my feet on the ground and, you know, running the drop zone with my brother, respect in the sport. So I just, it was just different for me. So to address something that I was uncomfortable about, but I started hearing it a lot and more. And I thought, well, this is my job as a director. I'm supposed to listen to the members and take this up. And yeah, so I started doing work with another member on sexual assault policies and updating the instructor code of conduct and those, those things are passed and we're still kind of ironing out the details and sorting out how it all works and where it all fits and what USPA can do, what USPA cannot do. And in, you know, I think the board went through the same knee jerk reaction that I did. Sure. And we're all growing together and seeing that this is really a problem in the sport because it hasn't gone away. In fact, since we passed some of these policies, more stuff has come up. And I think it's just helping People be brave to step up to talk about, yeah, snapping my bungee when you don't have permission to be in that space with me is not okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, tandem instructors being just gross with their students is not okay. Like, I've heard some disgusting stories. Like, I heard some raunchy stuff growing up in the sport, but being quote unquote one of the guys, you just kind of roll with the punches. No one cross the boundaries with me, so I'm okay. But with other women, they that's different. Their experience is different. Like that's that's not okay. And sure. I I, and, you know, not that I want to take away from the cultural fun, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like people go skydive to go and have fun. I get it. But I believe that we do need to have boundaries. Like those boundaries don't go away just because we're in skydiving.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know, I I, I made a similar point a long time ago in, in one of the articles that I wrote for the magazine. And it wasn't so much a, a male-female thing. It was – um acting appropriate around specific groups. Uh, in other words, uh, not crossing the line when it's students and, and uh, mom and dad outwatch to kid jumping. You know, you leave the bonfire chat to the bonfire, um, which has a similar flavor to it. But I mean... I think back over my career, and there's more than a few times that I was more than inappropriate, um, not over the line, but definitely skirting that line along with everybody else on the drop zone, because that was the culture that I was brought into and in, at the drop zones. Um, and I, like you, have been around long enough to see that change and start changing and acting accordingly. But you hear the stories that just go way too far, and if it shocks me, it's fucking over the top. I mean – Cause, yeah. and, and that's the stuff that has to be fought, right? I mean, it, it's gotta change. Cause that's the, that's the stuff that takes down sports like ours. It's not that big a sport.
1: I mean, I, we've been battling this 13% of female membership in skydiving since I started in, mm. or when I did my first solo jumps in 1994, we only grew by 1% this past year. 1%, we're at 14%. Wow. And I started like sexual assault and harassment and things like that I started going holy shit I'm like is this is this a bigger problem than we think or is there is there something else you know because what other things had come on my table as we discussed this is women don't make as much money as men do women have more caregiving responsibilities and they can't dedicate the time women have babies and they don't want to you know carry on with the sport because of other responsibilities and such so You know, it's really hard to say what because we we don't have any data on any of that of of why we're such a low number. But there is this mysterious. We don't have any validity to this statistic, but it's like something that has been said for years that fifty percent. Men and women both come to do a tandem, but it's the men that continue on with the sport. Like, why? Like, why? Mm. And Women's get I mean, Network is reaching out to ask that very question, you know, like, why? Um, so it's it, it just makes me think, well, if I can do a little bit of the uncomfortable work and man, I take some hits, I've got some haters, I've got some trolls. I'm like, man, you got to have some thick skin for this shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I got yeah, some you you know, my dad, you know, like, it's not like I'm not used to taking some (laughs) hints.
0: Right. Yeah, no shit. You know, it's kind of funny. I I had no idea that uh, uh, the numbers were as low as that. But what that uh, puts in stark reality for me is there are so many women towards the top of the skill level in skydiving. I mean, competitors in swooping and free flyers and tunnel flyers. What that tells me is that the women that are in skydiving are fucking amazing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: there's a we take up a lot of leadership roles in the sport. I don't have the statistics. maybe I can share a link for you, with you that you can share with everybody. Yeah. We, did, we did a um, USPA did a poll on what where women were in the sport and we do we do take up a lot of leadership roles, which I thought was very interesting being instructors, Dzos, sure uh, on the board, things like that.
0: Well, I think probably – at least I would guess part of the reason that it's easier for men to chuck it all uh, and go full force into skydiving is it's, it's very easy for the guy to be accepted for parking the trailer behind the tiki bar and just doing the bum thing for a long time. It's a lot more difficult for a woman to do that, right? I mean – Not just for the practical reasons like safety, living behind the tiki bar in a a tent, um, which unfortunately is an issue, um, but just because it's a lot more socially acceptable for a a 24-year-old dude to be wearing the same pair of jeans five days in a row and being a bum, packing on the mat and jumping when he can. Um, So I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, because it can be kind of a grungy sport.
1: Yeah I I I have no idea. I mean, I was pretty grungy growing up in the start. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of, it's kind of funny cuz oh, uh, I mean, you were uh, um you were really hitting your stride too right about the uh the time that the cool kids had the dirty rigs and the dirty jumpsuits because they were out, you know, slamming it all day long and didn't care that their jumpsuit could stand up by itself at the end of the day. I mean, it's only been the past 10 years or so that everybody's wearing these amazing outfits and yeah,
1: and washing their jumpsuits after every day. I'm like, right, what? like, that's a thing. I'm like, okay, I do it now, but
0: yeah. <laughs> So I I wanted to ask one question uh, with regard to the USPA, because you had said, you know, you'd you'd watched it for so many years and seen um, the boys club to some degree and and disagreed with so much of what the USPA had going on. But it took you a while to decide that you wanted to be a part of it. Um, Are you seeing younger people wanting to get involved with the political side of things? Or do you think that that's just something that comes with age and having seen it for a while?
1: You know, I'm not sure. So I think right now it's still with age and, you know, seeing the sport for a while. I think that's where we're still at. However, one of my goals is to inspire other younger jumpers to get involved because I think that being that close to being newer is so important and refreshing to bring that perspective and vote to Mm. the board. And, and, and not a lot of people know some of the board members that are my age on the board and and may just be kind of undercover, right? Because a lot of regional directors are only known in their region. They're not known across the country. And um, so they bring a lot of valuable perspective mm. and they're, they're the ones that are on the drop zones all the time. And I think that's incredibly important to bring to the board. I mean... This board, I'd say a majority of us got however, and, and this is not to, you know, I, I, when I first said this stuff, yes, I meant it derogatory. <laughs> now I say this, <laughs> let's just be honest here, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but now I say it for the, you know, we talk about representation, not just with skin color, nationality and all that stuff, but I'd, we have people who don't do you know, that's very underrepresented on the board. And here we are having to make all these policies and rules and competition. And, you know, so I think having that sort of representation on the board is very important. And a lot of board members, a handful don't jump anymore. Some of Mm. them might still be around drop zones, but I think being around versus actually being in the sky, being on the load, like you're at the loading area, there's conversations that happen that don't happen when you're just mangling around, when you're On the airplane, when you're seeing stuff that's happening, when you're under canopy and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like (laughs) that kind of stuff, right? Yep. But not just that, I also think it's very important for directors to travel. I know a lot of region over and they're getting to see a hand. So like seeing the fun jump aspect of it, too. Right. So I made it part of my campaign to go around to these drop zones, small, medium, large, meet the drop zone owners, just connect with them just to say hi, like. I hear you, not just me, but I'm just I'm just helping the board hear your perspective to bring it back to the board. Because when Mm. we're making policy, I think we need to know what you guys are thinking, saying, feeling on a personal level, like seeing your drop zone and how it operates. So, I mean, there's a couple of BSRs that screwed some drop zones because it just a didn't apply or it would you know not considering like the layout of the drop zone or how their operations work like that stuff is super important so sure so yeah i you know i I've taken my responsibilities to the nth degree.
0: (laughs) Well, no, but that's a good thing, right? Because it's very easy to be a little bit uh, too far removed from what's actually going on. And as soon as that happens, you're not representing those people, um, which is why that young blood or at least the perspective from the young blood is so important. Because, I mean, this is a a sport – with uh, generations that come quite quickly, you know, I mean, it's not a generation by age, it's a generation by the the next group that are coming into the sport. And those people see things in a slightly different way. And I mean, the changes that have happened between the time that I started skydiving almost 30 years ago and now are enormous you know i mean just in in the education of skydiving and how it's taught and and uh uh, how drop zones are doing the teaching and and standardizing things to make it all safer has changed immensely and that's all because people like you were doing the work and on the ground seeing this shit's not working anymore it used to but it doesn't now times are changing and so that stuff's important and speaking of you're actually um, moving forward in the educational side of things too with skydiving, yes?
1: Yes, I am. I'm launching a brand new business.
0: Uh oh, let's hear it. <laughs> I all like right, it.
1: All right, all right. So uh, during the pandemic, I built an online first jump course for Ultimate Skydiving Adventures. And I used that as a platform to see like a, like a testing ground to see if it would even work, if it was um, valuable, but I kind of did it more as like a passion project, side project. I just kind of had the idea for it. And I built not only just their first jump course, but the A license continuing education, the ground training for water training and a recurrency course. So I built like this library of uh, courses and uh, ben Lowe got to use it at his drop zone just to test it out. And it was really successful. And my brother who owns Scud of Chicago saw me building it and he goes, I want one too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. So I built and most students go through their uh, first jump program this year, then the years passed. So that was wildly successful. But what we're finding is that we're taking, we're, We are a solution to a lot of problems that are found on the drop zone. So finding a person to teach the six to eight hour course, uh, instructors that are it's a revolving door with instructors. So having the all of those problems. And teaching a consistent class, there is a foundation and everybody knows what's being taught. So if you are an instructor that travels from drop zone to drop zone, you watch their course, you know what they're taught, you know their acronyms, you know, like the foundation of how to teach. And from the drop zone instructor aspect of it, but from the uh, student side, they are able to watch the material by the uh, time they get to the drop uh, zone, they are in th- the drop zone for a couple of weeks because they're given... So all this information and they can really digest it.
0: Okay. So um, I was going to say, and and you may have talked about this, I missed it, but I would think that one of the big things that you would get out of having an online course is higher um, student um, desire because they're not stuck having to go to that Sunday at seven o'clock in the morning course. They can do it when they want um, and show up to the drop zone to do what they want to do, which is make that skydive.
1: Yeah, so the so the schedule is not as limiting, and they don't have to do it in one day. They mm. can, you know, every drop zone does a little bit different. Like Scott of Chicago offers it for seven days. Scott of Sebastian, I think, is offering theirs for thirty days, right? So it gives the student time to really absorb, rewatch everything, so it becomes more autonomous by the time they get to the drop zone.
0: Sure. Which I think is huge. I mean, um, it, it was relatively easy for me to show up and do my first jump course back in the day because I had decided I'm, I'm dedicating my time to do this. But for somebody that, especially nowadays, skydiving is not cheap. So chances are you've got a job that's going to pay for all this stuff. And working the time around burning an entire day for a ground school and then following it up the next day for that jump can be difficult to do.
1: Yeah, so we're really excited to launch this. I've already worked with a handful of drop zones. Like I said, Skydive Chicago, Skydive Sebastian, Air Ohio and Skydive Paris. So it's it's obvious that there's a need for it and it's the next thing. I mean, if we think about, you know, a lot of people tell me in scuba diving and you know, I'm a pilot as well. We learned a lot of stuff online. So I think it's like a natural evolution and skydiving is just jumping on board. Oh, and yeah. So I'm very excited. To, yeah.
0: Well, to hell, I mean, I, I remember doing my uh, my scuba course in Fiji, and I sat in this beautiful shack on the beach and watched fucking videotapes for five hours.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's exciting to be part of that evolution and the next big thing that's happening in skydiving and be able to solve a big problem that's not just on the instructor or drops side, but the student side as well.
0: Sure. I mean, Uh, I mean, first off, how the hell do you find time to jump? (laughs) I mean, you stay so busy. have to
1: waste that beautiful day in the
0: classroom. I know, right? Well, so um, with everything that you've got going on between that and and Highlight, are you still traveling a bunch doing the USPA stuff and still trying to get out there and and beat the streets, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to in this past year, a lot of life changes. However, this coming year, that is my intention to get back on the road and see some more drop zones and be around. And, you know, it's one of my things as a director. I just want to be accessible and transparent. So I can't always do that in person. And I do have a Facebook group that I try to connect with people. With all, I think I have over 2,000 members in there now, or almost nice. 2,000. Nice. But, yeah, just a way because I, I just – I. I you know, it's that load organizing world record mentality. I I wanna be a team as we, you know, grow and move forward with USPA and and pretty much with any project that I do.
0: Well, and it kind of, it has to be that way nowadays, right? I mean, the USPA was was just an organization I sent money to so that I could get a card so that Manifest would let me get on the plane. Um, But it's changed dramatically over the years. And there's so many more important things that need to be done that can't just be, you know, some random person I don't know. So the fact that you're out there talking to people and actually finding out what the jumpers are wanting and what's needed is really the way it needs to be.
1: Yep, I think so. And that's just the way I'm trying to continue what I said I would do, right? Because I I'm right, we we say these things, but putting them into action is a completely different thing. So I'm I'm doing my best.
0: <laughs> sure. Well we gotta make damn sure that uh USPA politics isn't like the rest of the world's politics, right?
1: That would be amazing, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as we wrap things up, I want you to tell everybody, uh, give everybody all the links uh, on how they follow social media so that when you do break silence, it's for important stuff and how they find out about Highlight and how they find out about this this uh, new business.
1: Awesome. Everything can be found in one place is my website, melissa-nelson.com.
0: Awesome. That's easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just put it all right
0: there. <laughs> Usually there's more to it than that. That's, that's fantastic. I'll tell you what I can't, I, it's been, it's been tough nailing you down because I know you've been busy this time around, but I so much appreciate you taking the time this morning to sit down and talk.
1: You're the best. Love you.
0: <laughs> awesome. Love you too. You take care. We'll talk soon.
1: All
0: right. Bye. And there you have it, another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com by Pussfoot. That's right, head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them, head to TonySuit.com check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on youtube that's right you're gonna have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the lunatic fringe podcast it's easy hit the like button hit the subscribe button check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had as well as new and upcoming interviews on video as always i am the fucking pilot head to the fucking pilot.net or the princess thanks for joining we'll see you next time around